Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Conversations with Converse Social, a series where we interview some of the best and brightest minds in the fields of customer experience, automation, and AI. My name is Shane Mack. I'm your host and the SVP of Marketing at Converse Social. Thanks everybody for joining, especially my good man Des here, and welcome to Conversations with Converse Social. Des is the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Intercom, uh, a company that I started in Dublin originally. Delaware Incorporated, but we definitely started running gotcha. code. And I think Des, Des and Intercom have really been on this mission to make business personal. I think it's definitely what motivated us to start building Intercom was a desire to like get better customer feedback from folks who are in the product. The, the prior world pre-Intercom was you, like if you wanted customer feedback in 2010, you would either mail bomb your entire user base, which is always a waste of time because you'd be mailing tens of thousands of people who haven't logged in years and asking them for feedback, which is obviously a waste of time. You'd also be asking for people for feedback when they're not using your product. So you like, I often liken that old world to being, imagine if you're like a chef in a restaurant and you want to see if a new soup is going to be popular. Your options are you could A, four days after someone's left your restaurant, send them an email with a link to a survey monkey thing asking them if they remember what they ate and if it was the soup, did it happen to be very good soup? Or you could B, walk out and ask people who are having the soup, yo, is that soup any good? And I think generally like, that's a you know, glib story to remind people that like you're way more uh, effusive and rich with your opinions about something while you're doing it than you are four days later. And the entirety of customer feedback back then was this four day later model. It was tools like MailChimp plus Campaign Monitor plus SurveyMonkey. You didn't have a good way to segment your user base. So you ended up talking to everyone. You couldn't distinguish say paying customers from regular customers. You couldn't distinguish active from inactive. You couldn't distinguish account owners from end users, et cetera. And then we wanted to do better. So one day we popped a little question inside the product and people were using it saying, hey, we've solved our scaling issues we had last week. What would you like us to work on next? Or something to that effect. And, and we were just blown away by how everyone saw that as being like the, the primary, like the, the best way to give us real-time feedback. And, uh, and all of a sudden we started getting real valuable feedback from real conversations with our customers. A lot of people today look at Intercom and think we're a live chat product and they compare us with like dozens of other live chat products. But what they miss often is it's targeting. It's a live customer platform. It's a targeted conversations. It's a powerful backend for analysis of the conversations. It's like customer support. It's all of those things uh, together is what makes it work. And um, for us, the initial spark was definitely let us talk to our customers so that we can learn more about what we should do. But as you pull that thread, you start to realize all customer conversations from the end user's point of view, they're all conversations with your business. Whereas on your side, you feel uh, like there's a pressure to be like, we do our sales conversations over here. Marketing comes here, over here. If it's support, we want it to go that way. And, we, and that segmenting, you tend to push down your customer's throats, even though they don't want it. And I often say, like, imagine if you were checking into a hotel or, or whatever, and no one would talk to you about anything other than the thing that they're there to talk to you about. So it's then, okay, and I'd like to order some room service. Oh, I don't do room service. It's a weird experience. I had seen you in Dublin kind of probably six months in, maybe a year into to Intercom, and you were just ripping everybody apart for focusing on email mm -hmm. uh, as a way to engage with customers. What, what are you ripping on brands today for? What are, they, what are we still screwing up in terms of engagement with customers? Do you still see these same, sort of same mistakes? Yeah. The attractiveness of email was I would a single click, I can dump 100 million mails to, to my entire user race or like, oh, whatever, I can mail everyone immediately. And 
it takes me maybe one hour to write a good email and it takes everyone like 10 minutes to read it or whatever. And so it feels initially like you're getting a good uh, positive effect. The ROI is always, always just how many people opened it? How many people clicked? How many people did this? So I think you, you ended up with this. There was no credible countermetric for clicks. So it just seemed all else being equal. The more mails I send, the more clicks I get. And so that was problem one, which is brands, I think, were willing to commit a type of brand aside just because it was easy to do. Uh, and, and in some sense, their numbers might look good, even though long-term they just became known as the spammy people or whatever. The second aspect of it, I think, is that oftentimes when people want to push a message, there is a likely thing a customer might want to do or say afterwards that hasn't been acknowledged. So you have this problem where the tools all, the mails all come from like no reply at Vodafone.com or whatever. And this is a one-way broadcast. I want to talk to you, but I don't want you to talk to me. That's the sort of brand you're creating. Please don't reply. Yeah, Yeah, do not reply to me. I don't want to hear it. Uh, Even though I'm trying to sell you shit, I don't want to hear it. And uh, so so in 2012, you would have heard me give out about that because email was the predominant way. There are still ways to do this. And and for sure, a lot of folks uh, who've copied Intercom have produced a version of a chatbot that hangs around in the bottom corner somewhere. And it's just basically paying, schedule a sales call right now, paying. But what they're not trying to do is actually do anything beyond that. They're not trying to say, we're actually here to help. Or if you actually have a question before you said schedule a sales call, let's chat. So two years ago, I, I had shared some research here around the halls of, of Conversocial. Gartner done this study where they showed that most executives are still tracking things like CSAT, NPS, and customer effort score as their main barometer for how they're doing on the customer experience front. That's great. But is, are you seeing a new guard of brands and, and even at the executive level saying, let's move beyond that? How do you see brands starting to really rally around the customer conversation as a, a source of insight? Is that happening yet? Do you see that happening? I think what we've seen in software has been an acknowledgement that NPS is both changeable and, and quite dynamic over time. Any complicated product has some degree of depth of engagement that's required to maximize the value. And like generally speaking, when people try to price software, they price it for this mythical customer who uses everything in the best way possible and get captures all possible value. And then when a customer uses it, they use a thin sliver and then you have this like uh, price value mismatch. So I think the first thing I'd say is you do need to look at them. Um, like it's tempting to look at like day seven or something like that and be like, yay, that's like the vanity metric. It's most people are still in the honeymoon period and they're still looking at the like, new bits of functionality that they've been exposed to. It's more three months in, six months in, is there still, are they still happy? Has their usage broadened or gotten deeper? So I think that's the first shift we've seen is people's obsession more with evolution over time. And, that, and like the other things that fall out of that is you don't see a single NPS score anymore for mature brands who are doing it properly. Uh, what is NPS? What's our first month experience? What's our six month experience? What's our one year experience? So they track it over time and see yeah, how yeah. it changed. Are they digging into moments of change? What changed? Yeah, Why yeah. did it change? Yeah, so it's useful if you can say, show me all the conversations started by customers who were with us for more than six months, but less than nine months, and show me the questions they asked. And then if you can map that to some sort of like, we're working on a new product at the moment, it'll be out in three, four months, that will give you like like this. If you remember like the web 2.0 sort of cloud view, a word cloud view of what else going on. So imagine like that, but put a, put a decent version that actually is useful. What we're trying to do is basically show you like, here's roughly what's being said by this type of customer at this time point. And you'll see, like, we can already see, like, in, in our little hacky prototypes, the 
people don't care about reporting in the first seven days. They care about reporting after three months because that's when the, that's around about the time someone said, yo, what's, what, can you send me a report on how Congress Social is working for us? Yeah, uh, show me the proof. Yeah, Exactly. And uh, and similarly, they don't care about like, you know, advanced data integrations until they're up and running or whatever. So I think what you see is like the customer voice changes at different points as they evolve their, their usage of the platform or like of any product for that matter. I think even just now, we started out with talking about clicks and then CSAT and MPS and CES and these sort of survey scores. And then you've got very marketing-esque metrics like life, customer lifetime value and, and, and things like that. These, some of the ones you've just mentioned over the arc of a couple of minutes represent goals for different people within a team, right? Like yeah. across a, a particular brand that works with Intercom, for example, you're going to have different constituents across that customer who care about different things. Do you think it's feasible to look at conversational experiences and the data that yields as a way to bring those teams together that, okay, marketing, you're really looking for a customer lifetime value and, and retention sales. You're looking to drive, to drive average order value yeah, uh, product. You're looking for insights. Yeah. I love that metaphor you gave earlier in the call, the idea that you'd walk into a hotel and you'd ask somebody a question like, Oh, I only, I can only answer questions about this. Do you think it's possible to have that sort of catch all that, any income from the from the customer yeah yeah uh, there's a few pieces to it like one is you need to make sure that the like, vast majority of important conversations are gathered in the same place this is this is what goes wrong in like the zendesks of the world they they want to make this claim about like, mass customer insight but in reality the only people the only customers who are on zendesk uh, like the only only one of your end users you'll see on zendesk are people who've had a problem so it's so like, yeah, like that's how you end up talking to support it's not because everything's going brilliant so you so if you really want to make sure you're getting proper voice of customer and getting sales marketing and support bought in they need to be looking at kind of all of the customer feedback not just point by point pieces of it when things go wrong yes exactly and like that's one of the advantages about having a unified customer communication platform you you get the sales conversations there and the support conversations there and you can see it's the same thread that connects everything right everyone has a goal sales are looking typically like sales will be looking for opportunities to expand or upsell or anything that's going to trigger like a larger order, order value as you said marketing are usually when it comes to they're looking to drive either self-serve upgrades or marketing are looking to drive revenue or looking to find standout customers to use as customer testimonials in campaigns or whatever and support are usually not really looking for anything support are looking for please you know give me an easier day today or stop releasing buggy software or whatever but like yeah uh, so what's interesting is you you know support support a customer without knowing the context under which the customer bought the product. So you need the sales reference there, and that's why like in, ideally it's right in front of you. But at the very least, you should be able to click and jump into the Salesforce record and be like, oh, you're on a free plan. That's why you'd see this, etc. What marketing needs to do is not market to anyone for whom they shouldn't be marketing to. So don't pitch a discount to somebody who's in the middle of a negotiation with a sales rep. Don't to send a marketing campaign to somebody who's in the middle of complaining to support. So like the idea that you can actually better target your conversations is useful. And sales obviously need, they need to know ultimately the state of the account. So if a relationship manager is going into a quarterly business review to see, hey, are Converse Social happy using Intercom? The, the number one question they'd have in a non-Intercom world is they'd have to look up Zendesk or whatever the tool is and be like, has anyone been talking to this customer? Are they pissed off? Are they happy? I need to pretend like I know what the hell's going on here. Uh, and and th- th- so that, that's what they do. Like, uh, whereas again, when it's all connected together, you don't have to do as much uh, like grepping around the entire org. Yeah, it's interesting for us, like when we look at our, our, how our own customers are using conversational experiences and the data that it yields, we 
we're lucky in the sense that as a point solution, we are trying to, to get brands to consolidate those conversations. Like you said, we often see that we can look across different channels. We might look at WhatsApp, we might look at web chat, we might look at SMS, we might look at messenger, but it happens that business, even those channels are often owned by different pieces of the, of the organization. Yeah, so uh, well, WhatsApp is actually our sales team, but messenger yeah. is where we do support and having that be melted down into one set of data. But it, something that you posed this hypothetical question when, when we met once just to kind of plan having this meeting, I think I captured verbatim, which was how do customer conversations become a source of value for the entire business? And I guess it might sound like the same question, but I would love to ask you that question. Like how, have you seen any good examples in the world of that happening? And what do you think is preventing them from doing it? I, like, I think the way you make them valuable is like, the value, like obviously a conversation is itself often an end, like as in, hey, we needed to try and close a deal, so we close the deal. But sometimes where it's like a customer complaint or a frustration or a query about it, about something you don't yet have or don't yet sell. Mm-hmm. I think in those cases, it itself isn't the end, but it can be the means to the end. But like it can trigger a different action or piece of insight within the organization that then becomes a business outcome. So like the classic way I'd say like the way this works in Intercom is that we have every month we produce, or sorry, every quarter, we produce a customer voice report. And what that is basically, it's like consolidated everything we've heard from customers. Now we distinguish churned customers, people who quit Intercom, current customers, uh, which are like, you know, just day-to-day regular uh, folk, uh, sales customers, what we call our voice of sales. And then even within sales customers, we distinguish what we call blockers from from hurdles the way we get value out of them is we first of all collate them and put them all into one place we in in our case we use coda for as a way of storing every single customer insight every customer insight is then tied back to the original conversation so we can say here's the 27 people who asked for something in this ballpark we can then revenue weight it as well so we can say what feature is costing us the most revenue from a growth or from a churn perspective and then you can basically run that report and hand it over to either marketing or sales or product, depending on, on what the likely next step is. So marketing might need to know about it if it's something like people don't know that we do ticketing. Marketing, go make sure that no one ever signs up again not knowing that Intercom does ticketing. Sales might need to know about it from a point of view of a significant differentiator that people aren't realizing during sales calls. So it's in, hey, Intercom is the only one that has an embeddable mobile uh, SDK that lets you have the same Intercom experience inside your app. Okay, and then sales will be like, all right, I should mention that next time. You know, yes, you should. But perhaps the most weaponized way is obviously the product team itself. Ultimately, what happens is over time, they, they grow and grow in terms of, and they grow, their revenue weight gets heavier as we realize how much more important they've become. And that ultimately triggers some product team in the, in the company uh, to build it and then we release it we go back to all the customers that ever mentioned it and we let them know it's now live and here it is and if it's free they have it and if it's, it costs money they can speak to a rep about buying it uh, and ultimately it becomes valuable so a very simple example would be like our number one request in uh, this sort of customer engagement in app space was hey i'm sending all these messages but i need a way to see them all together we had probably $2 million worth of revenue like sitting behind that request. Now, that doesn't mean they all quit over it, but it just meant that was the sum total of the value of people who were like really pissed off about the absence of this functionality. And lo and behold, we go and build it, we message them all, and everyone is really, really happy. And I think as we've grown, and as you, and in general, as a product org, as you grow, you move a little bit further away from what I would call like the like intuition-driven product management, where you're just like, hey, I've got an idea. And you move into much more like we have like over 30,000 customers. You just, there's more insight in what they're saying to us than there is 
to be found in an idle daydream on a whiteboard. I guess the one thing I, I would love to hear your input on selfishly and um, unselfishly for the folks on, on the line to hear your perspective on, um, what advice do you have to teams who are able to get out in front of the business by showing that proof of concept or able to get maybe starting out as a channel strategy, honestly, but address a few key use cases. Maybe it's coming from marketing more often than not with us, at least it starts with support and branches out from there. But what do you, what advice do you have for people who get their foot in the door? They get that POC out there. It's successful. How do they get the rest of the organization to rally behind it and give them the trust to know that the conversational data can be mined for all the things that they are looking for insight around. Do you follow me? I do, yeah. I'll, I'll say two things, and one of them will actually uh, reference one of your own employees, Shane. But the two things I'll say is that one, it's very hard to get somebody to buy a solution if they don't buy the problem. And so if there's no like pain that people experience from a lack of a sort of central uh, place to run all the conversations from or whatever, then you're not going to, you're, it's almost like Velcro, right? There's, there's nothing to latch onto and Velcro works by hooks attaching to other hooks in a sense. So, so oftentimes I find a lot of these conversations, people try to have them. And I've seen, did, the pitch of all your X in one place, as in all your files in one place, all your this in one place, all your conversations in one place is as old as the internet. And the reason it never works is because it doesn't actually speak to any real problem. So you need to actually say, here's the actual, here's what this is the solution to. So, so in this case, I don't think it's that people feel, no individual org feels a pain by not having this consolidated strategy or, or like uh, the, the, you know, this idea of like connecting all the orgs. So then you're into a different argument, which is we're not solving a pain, we're selling an upside. And the only way, in my opinion, you ever successfully sell an upside is by demonstrating some small amount of value. And I remember going way back three or four years ago, Assist is a company that Commerce Social acquired. And I remember uh, uh, being uh, seeing a demo of Assist where the story I was told by, uh, by Shane was that uh, it was a reference for, I think it was a hotel chain was considering uh, the purchase and they were approaching with a very, what, 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 you know, what seemed to be a killer use case, really. Hey, it's going to do X and Y and Z and what, what could possibly go wrong from here? And Shane was very smart in that. He said, that's way too complicated. It'll take, there's too many voices involved. It'll take way too long to demonstrate significant ROI. Let me find you something actually simple and obvious. Like how about people want an, a late checkout or an early checkout? Okay, cool. Let's do that. That way we don't have to talk to anyone. We don't have to have this meeting of seven different leads of all your exec team. It's just a simple thing. Talk to us uh, through the messenger if you want to check out late. And the answer is going to be yes or no. We're going to build one API point that's going to say yes or no. We're just going to reply to people immediately. And uh, you've got something to point out. You have the latch in, right? Yeah. Now, 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 you said like, now you said like, you had a problem. We solve problems. That's what we do. We, we, we solve problems. So I think like it's really hard in my opinion, as I said, you can't sell a solution to a problem someone doesn't already have. So I think what you have to do is find what's the smallest thing we could do that would demonstrate that these things are more valuable together, that our strategies are more valuable when it's joined up. People like can be quite territory sensitive. No, no one's allowed to talk to a customer once it's sales owned. Only sales are allowed to talk to them. And, like, and you say, well, hang on, what if you let marketing talk to them? What if marketing can in-app them to let them know about the latest features? And if they want them, they can register for a sales call. Does that sound useful? And like, they're like, I don't know, let's try it with 10%. Okay, cool. 10% later, please turn that on forever. And let's talk yeah, about it. Make it hundred. Yeah. <laughs> it'll never work if you try and come in a whole hog, in my opinion, because it's just, 
it's not that it's fundamentally impossible. It's just practically impossible because you're asking for too much and the project gets buried. And some of these things, they could last 12 months before they get live. But then people have left and stuff like that. Like just the wheels fall off the bus way too quickly. So you want to find a real single, simple sliver of functionality. That's It doesn't even need to be dramatically impactful. It just needs to be provable like that, hey, that was a needle and we moved it. I want to, there's a question that was a, is a good transition here. I mean, this is highly relevant. Do you see messaging replacing websites one day? Like how does messaging both influencing that happening and fill a gap left by websites the way i think about that is what is the purpose of the website to begin with if all's website did that did or do is just answer questions like known questions then yeah i imagine like some things will get replaced like a website that offers you when is the next train could definitely be replaced by a bot that, that tells you when the next train is or whatever right as you rich as you get to richer functionality like could a messenger replace the functionality of a restaurant website? Probably not, because restaurants tend to trade on a lot of high gloss and veneer brand assets. Like here's all our here's our menu, here's beautiful people having a beautiful meal in a beautiful restaurant. Like, and they're trying to sell you this idea of a date or, or like a celebration or whatever. So like I so that that for me is like where you start to bump into no, that probably couldn't be replaced by a website. Like we've had this discussion in tech every like few years. Could a Facebook profile page replace a website? And the answer in some cases has been maybe like, as in a lot of people for whom, you know, like what I, the product I sell is a pretty known obvious thing. And let's say a barber, and I just need to be able to demonstrate that I can do it. So give me a photo gallery and I just need to be able to be contacted and booked and reserved. So give me a messenger for that. And yeah, like you can definitely make it work. I, I think to pair all the way back to being just a messenger, I think is is tricky, but I think the closer you get to a commodity and a low utility website, yes, you end up looking like a messenger. So, so again, like we said, said like British Airways, where's my flight? What's my gate? Where am I delayed or whatever? Yeah, that's all messenger fodder. I think that would all work really well. Let me wrap with this question for you then, Des. What do you see as the, as the growing value? Where do you see the value of conversational data going? as more and more vendors like Intercom and Commerce Social and as more and more brands like Dolce & Gabbana start to embrace the idea of a balance between human beings providing that empathy and support and information versus the convenience and trust of certain things being automated. What, what value do you think that the conversation, conversational data and insights will have for brands a year, two, three out from now? I think the biggest shift that like people don't acknowledge that we're going through is all, all communication is moving to messaging. It, it's novel for me to do a call with you uh, because most of the day I'm just slacking with people. I'm just typing words back and forth. Right? <laughs> and like, I think most people spend most of the day communicating through asynchronous messaging now. And if you then multiply that out to say intercom scale, we've got like 30,000 actual customers who might employ like another, say, whatever, 10, 20, 100 people each. So you've got like hundreds of thousands of people on our platform typing words back and forth. We have at this point in the kind of internet culture an opportunity that didn't exist 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And that opportunity is that we can literally analyze every conversation between every business and every customer. So I think that the potential future value lies in our ability to extract meaning from the wealth of data that we're now creating that we weren't previously creating. There are some examples of this happening in, say, in, in even spoken word as well, like this tools like Gong and stuff like that will automatically transcribe the sales calls and feed that into your system as well. But more, most generally what I'd say is like, 
on any given day, Intercom produces literally millions of words of insight for our own business. We never had that before. The, the thing we, that we're going to see emerge over the next, say, five years, and there are tools out there, like say Monkey Learn would be one that I invested in a while ago, where literally what they do is, yeah. yeah. I think we're going to see a, a growth in that type of analysis, which is basically, you have produced millions of words, and within there, within those words is everything you need to know about what you need to do for your business. And it's it, these uh, midware uh, tools will basically, you'll point them at lots of data and they'll be able to tell you, here's the emergent themes, here's the emergent sentiment. If you compare it with things like say segmentation of your user base, you'll be able to see what makes our happiest customers happy and out of our happiest customers, who are the best paying ones and what makes them extra happy and what makes our sad customers sad. And you, know, all, you can do all of that sort of analysis I think that's, I don't think there's an alternative to moving towards an omni-channel like uh, messaging solution for any business. I think uh, you're better off accepting that as being true and thinking about the next step, which is what are the implications of that future world? And one of them is, it means we're now sitting on gold mines and we need to learn how to get down into the quarry basically. Yeah, and work together as a team to make sure everybody knows how to draw from that. Really interesting, Des. I, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Any closing words from you? <laughs> no, I mean, the conversational future is is upon us. Like I think the embracing that reality is, is probably the most important thing for businesses who are looking to make that sort of next digital transformation. Awesome. Des, thanks for joining us.